Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. I'm excited to be able to uh, share what is on my heart and and allow God to really have his way in this place. So um, could you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word? Um, We're going to go ahead and jump right into it. And uh, while y'all are standing, um, can we give our online audience a hand clap that watching through Facebook and YouTube? If you're watching online, thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to press that like or share button so we can spread this message to as many people as possible. But we're going to kind of pick up around the same place where we started uh, on Sunday, and that's in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So if you weren't here this Sunday, a little refresher. We talked about the um, Edemic covenant, and uh, we talked about how um, God is the covenant maker, um, but how we are, most of the times, we are the ones who are the covenant breaker. Uh, But we talked about how God's covenant is a covering, and it was a really powerful message, and and really, we're going to continue the thought in Genesis chapter 3 with how and where um, Adam and Eve were convinced to break the commandment of God that was given to them. So we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It reads this. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, said, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle. Everybody say the middle. Only from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. So God said, uh, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. Say, you won't die, the serpent replied uh, to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open, and as soon as you eat it, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Everybody say convinced. Man, it didn't take much. Kind of hoped in, like, scripture she gave up a bigger fight. But says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Sometimes I feel that same way looking at Chick-fil-A. I see it's delicious and wonderful. Then I remember it's Sunday. And then, but then I give praise because I know why they're doing that. It says the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and ate its fruit. It looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed thick leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, a man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to them, uh, man, saying, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Everybody say hid. So I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. He said, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? What we're going to talk about tonight and the title for tonight is clarifying. Everybody say clarifying. Clarifying the confusion clarifying the confusion. Let's pray over the service together tonight. 
Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. Right now, we dedicate, God, this service. We dedicate this moment to your name. We thank you, Father, for this clear minds, open hearts. We're ready, God, to press into your presence, Father, and we remove any distraction right now. We remove any anxiety, God. But we thank you for a clear and sound mind that we can receive what you have, God, to give for, to us tonight. And that it all is going to go to the glory of your name. So, Father, have your way tonight. We have expectant hearts. We have ready faith. And, God, we're ready to step out, God, and go deeper into your word and deeper, God, into the revelation of your love, of your peace, of your joy. So we thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity it is, this to gather in the presence with our church family. We love you, Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight, and y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. Thank y'all for standing and, and reading of the word. Uh, when, uh, when you are confused, you can be convinced of some silly things. Like when I read that story, you know, Right away, I'm like, it's kind of silly, you know, what the serpent was able to convince this woman to do. But I have a feeling that she was confused because when you're confused, you can be convinced of some otherwise things you wouldn't be convinced of. Um, I remember when I was uh, growing up, um, my, uh, my grandfather, who we called our popo, my dad's dad, uh, I remember him playing a card trick on me. Uh, when I was about the age of 12 or 13, and, and what he did, he said, he said, Caleb, I want you to take this deck of cards, and I want you to pick out the card, and once you pick out that card, you can put it back in the deck, shuffle it, do whatever you want, and then lay all the cards out, and he says, then I'm going to read your mind, and I'm going to pick which one, which card you picked, and at first, I was confident that he had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, okay, yeah, like, okay, Popo, you know, sure. And, uh, and so he gave me a deck of cards. I picked out the one um, out, of, out of the deck. And, you know, he couldn't see it. And I put it back in. And then I shuffled it all about. And I put it all on the, all on the table. And then I remember uh, my, my popo, he went and he put his finger over the card. And he would look at me. And he'd go like this. And he'd go over each card that was in the row. And then he would stop right over the card that I picked. And he was like, is this the card? I was like, oh, my Lord. That's the card. I'm like, okay, I'm like, either Popo, like, I don't know what's going on, but run it back. Do it again, because this is crazy. And then we did it again. He's like, okay, I'll do it again. And he did it again, put out all the cards, and he picked out again which card I had picked out of the deck. He did this about three or four times, and I was convinced by the end of it that he was reading my mind. But come to find out, uh, my sisters were in the room. And what they were doing is that they were standing behind me. And as he was going over the cards, they would cough when he pointed at my card. Now, I'm 12 years old. I'm convinced that he's reading my mind. But really, I was confused about what was going on. And because I was confused, I was convinced that my popo could read minds. But it made me think of this story and really what happens with ourselves because when we are confused of the truth, who knows, we can be convinced of a lie. When we are confused about what's really going on, then we can be easily convinced of something that we otherwise want to be convinced of. And, and that's really what the goal of the enemy is, is to confuse us about the truth. 
Because if he can confuse us about what the truth is, then he can convince us of a lie. If you look at what happened with the story of Adam and Eve, uh, the serpent comes in and he begins to confuse Eve about what she was once so confident about. He said, is, did, did God really say this? And if you see her mannerisms, we're going to go through it. She responds confidently and says, yes, I do know what God said. But he began to, to sow that confusion and she began to be convinced of that lie. See, before the enemy can convince us of anything, he first has to confuse us of what the truth is. See, the, before the enemy can, can convince you that you're not able to do what God's called you to do, he first has to confuse you about your identity. Once he has confused you about who you are in Christ, then he can convince you that you're not able to do all these things. See, well, before the enemy can convince you that you're, marriage is not going to be able to be restored he first has to confuse you about how marriage should even be because once he can confuse you then he can convince you and i wonder how many things we have been convinced of because we were confused of what was actually true see eve she was confused of what the truth was and so she was convinced of a lie but see, as children of God, you and I, we were not called to live this life confused. We were not called to live this life not knowing what is truth and not knowing what is lie. As a matter of fact, we were called to live excess according to the truth. That we are called to live knowing what is wrong and what is right and what is truth and what is lie. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us and the Spirit is truth. So you and I, we're not supposed to live this life confused. I remember I've talked to somebody before, like, man, it's confusing to be a Christian. I'm like, well, shoot. You might want to look back at some things you're doing because I know with my relationship with God, I'm not confused about who I am. I'm not confused about what God has done, and I'm not confused about what God is going to do. Because that's not the life that we're called to live. a matter of fact, we are called to live on such firm foundation. We're called to live in such confidence that it's supposed to make the world look at us and say they have something that we don't. That even when the world is confused, we're supposed to be confident. Why? Because we're not putting our trust. We're not putting our truth into the world. No, we're putting our trust and our truth in the name of Jesus. And that's what gives us confidence. Amen. So what we're going to do tonight is real quickly, we're going to go and we're going to clarify the confusion. We're going to go through that, what we just read in, in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to begin to clarify. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to clarify. It's time to clarify. Let's look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And it read this. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest. Everybody say shrewdest. He was the shrewdest of all the animals that the Lord God had made. Um, if you break down that word shrewdest, you know that it doesn't mean dumb, right? It actually means that the serpent was clever. And see, this can come against some things that maybe Christians can be confused by because sometimes we can think when we look at the enemy, we can say, well, the enemy is dumb and unorganized and doesn't have a strategy. And I believe that that is a lie from the enemy to make us look at him and begin to think that on my own, I can outsmart the enemy. Because if you think about it, this is kind of what Eve did. Because the serpent went up to Eve and said, hey, 
did God really say this? And if I'm Eve, I would have said, well, you know, let me ask him myself. Hey, God, did you actually say this? Right? He, she had, like, complete access. But no, instead, on her own, she responded. Because maybe she thought that the enemy wasn't smart enough and that she, she could outsmart him. And sometimes we can be confused by that. But can I say this? That if we try to live this life without the power of God and try to outsmart the enemy without Jesus, that we are going to be just like Eve, living confused and deceived day after day after day. Why? Because it takes truth, which is Jesus, to begin to live by the truth that he's called us to live in. And so if we think that on our own we can outsmart the enemy, then I hate to break it to you. But on our own, just like the fallen man represented, on our own, humanity doesn't stand a chance. On our own, our mind plays games with ourselves. On our own, we can be convinced of some silly things because we are confused. See, on our own, the enemy might be able to outsmart us. But with Jesus, we can overcome with Jesus, now we have the advantage. With Jesus, now we can outnumber the enemy. Now we outsmart the enemy. Now we outflank the enemy. We always have to know that we can't do this alone, but we have to do this with Jesus. And as we continue, it says, so one day the serpent, and he asked the woman, he said, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2, of course, the woman said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. See, God said you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. A couple things to take. First of all, I think the first mistake that maybe Eve made was even participating in that conversation. I think that she had every right and ability to hear this this serpent began to say what she knows is a lie and say, you know what, I'm not even going to give that the time of day. I'm not going to entertain that lie. I think in the same way, we have that choice that when the enemy begins to speak something in your ear, you have the ability not only to ignore it, but to put that lie in its place. You don't have to go and begin to debate whether or not you are a child of God with the enemy. You don't have to go and debate whether or not you are called with the enemy. You don't have to debate with the enemy whether or not you have a purpose and that you are loved by God. You don't have to debate that. Whenever the enemy tries to tell you that, you can say, hey, look, I know the truth. I'm not going to entertain that. And I'm going to put that lie in its place because I have the truth on the inside of me. So Eve had the choice, but her first mistake was this partaking in that conversation, which I believe is what gave the enemy a foothold. And that's what Ephesians 4.27 says. It says, do not even give the enemy a foothold. Everybody say a foothold. And what a foothold is, is what it sounds like. It's a foothold, right? Puts his foot in the door. But if there's something that we shouldn't even give the enemy a sliver of a chance, it's to allow him even to even put a foot in the door when it comes to our thinking. Because sometimes we can do it without even realizing it. Because not, not only is it us participating in conversations we know we shouldn't, but it's also watching things we know we shouldn't. Listening to things we know we shouldn't. Watching movies and TV shows that do not align with us what truth is, but instead confuses us about what the truth is. All those things can become a foothold 
for the enemy. But if you look at verse 3 a little bit closer in Genesis, if you look at verse 3 a little bit closer, this is Eve's response to the enemy. She said, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle. Everybody say the middle. From the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Um, but God said you must not eat or even touch it. Everybody say touch it. If you do, you will die. I wanted us to say those two things because if you read it, you can catch that although Eve did respond with what God said, she didn't say it exactly the way God commanded it. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, this is God actually telling Adam and Eve, I believe we have that scripture, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. If we don't, I can read it. This is what he said to Adam and Eve. He said, commanding them of, that they could eat every fruit, everything in the garden except, everybody say except, and this is what he said, except the tree of knowledge. And then he said, if you eat the fruit, then you will surely die. But what he didn't say, that you, didn't, you couldn't touch it. He didn't say that. And also what he said, he didn't say the tree in the middle. He said the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which from the surface, they're reading that like, like, come on, Pastor CJ. She got it close, right? Like, what's the big deal? From the surface, it might seem harmless, but if there was only one rule that I had to memorize, you better, better, you better believe I'm going to memorize it right. If there was only one rule, like, hey, you can do whatever you want except for this one thing, you better believe I have that one thing posted noted everywhere. You better believe I have it memorized. You better believe that I have it clearly understood of what God said. But showing that she didn't really have it exactly right kind of signals to me that maybe she is not having that consistency or that repetition that she should have had when it comes to understanding what God told her what and what not to do. Like if we ever begin to watch, um, like uh, right now, Sayla, uh, she's watching these TV, this uh, YouTube channel. I don't even know what it's called, but it's this worship songs, and it's like these animated characters, and she loves it. I don't know what it's called, but I've watched it like a million times. Okay, same 30-minute video. I have that thing memorized, right? And I catch myself singing with her sometimes. It's like, I am the light of the world. They have a little light, you know. But I have watched it so many times. I've been in it so closely that I have it memorized. I, I, I've been so consistent in watching, not even knowing because it's, it's on all the time. I have everything memorized. I know exactly what it said, and I know exactly what it didn't say. So that signifies to me that if Eve didn't know exactly what was said, then she wasn't being consistent in her relationship with God. Because only a lack of consistency can create that type of confusion. Only a lack of consistency could create that type of confusion where she's like, well, I forgot what that tree's called, but I know it's the one in the middle. You know? And I can't remember, I don't know if we can or can't touch it. I just know we can't eat it, so I might as well not touch it. Like, right, she doesn't have it clearly understood, and so that's what has led to her confusion. This is the first point for tonight is this, is that consistency with God deters, everybody say deters, deters confusion about God. When you have that consistent walk with God, you will not be confused about what God is telling you to do. 
when you are consistently having that time with him, consistently having that time uh, in worship, have that time in the word, you will not be confused about what he said. That's why sometimes when I, re- when I begin to not be able to recollect exactly what God wants me to do, I know I need to go back and spend some time with him. So he can remind me of some things. Hey, nobody will ever reach a point where they said, hey, I have prayed enough. I have read enough. I have gone to church enough. I know all that there is to know, and I will be able to remember everything that there is to remember. Nobody will reach that point. But we're all called to that life of consistency. And if we live that consistent life, I'm telling you, you will not be confused about who God is in your life. If you have that consistent time with God, you won't be confused about how the peace of God operates in your life. If you have that consistent time with God, you won't be confused about your identity in Christ. But that consistency is what allows that to be a constant in your life. But when you're inconsistent, that's when confusion begins to begin. And that's why daily prayer and devotion is so important. That's why it's so important. It might sound like it's something that can be so basic, but it's so important. If you just spend five minutes with God, ten minutes with God every day, if you just spend time with God every day, that consistency will begin to make your mind clear once again. If you just go and go in God's presence, I'm telling you that some of the best wake-up calls or some of the best vitamins I ever had that cleared up my mind was the presence of God. There's been times I was confused. There's times like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. There's times like, God, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm going to get in your presence because I know when I'm consistent with you, that confusion will go. I know when I get in your presence, clarity will come. I know when I begin to go in my prayer time, I will begin to see what your truth is, and I can begin to, to deter what the lie is trying to be upon me. As we continue in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, this is the enemy's response. He said, he said, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. Everybody say convinced. And she saw that the tree was beautiful and looked, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. See, first the enemy had to confuse her before he could convince her of what that lie was. See, before the enemy can convince us of anything that is a lie, he has to confuse us first about what the truth really is. Before the enemy can convince us, he first has to confuse us about what is right. Before the enemy can convince us of a lie, he has to confuse us about the truth. And I really think that's what the enemy tries to do anytime we feel ourselves being clouded, being confused, not knowing really exactly what we need to do. It's the enemy's attempt to try to convince us to, to, to steer away from God and do what we want to do. Because I don't know if you ever noticed this, but we're never confused about what we want to do, right? We're only confused about what God wants us to do. Like, we are, like we're clear about what we want to do. Like, you've got, like, like, our flesh is loud. It's very clear. 
But what we are confused about at times is what God wants us to do. And so I think that the enemy tries to make us confused. Why? So that way he can convince us off the path that God has called us to go. So he can convince us to do the things that we know we shouldn't do. This is why the truth is so important. This is why it's so important for us to know who we are in Christ, to know our identity, to know the promises of God, to know what God has has said about us. Because here's what the truth is. If you ever want to know what is the truth about you, the truth about you is what God says about you. Period. That's the truth. Nothing else said about you can be, is the truth. Only what God says about you is truth. Period. It's not what people say about you. It's not what politics say about you. It's not even what your own insecurities say about you. Only what God says about you is truth. That is why it's so important because John 8, 32 says it like this. You shall know the truth. Everybody say truth. And the truth will set you free. You won't be set free from insecurities. Know the truth. You won't be set free from depression. Know what the truth is. You won't be set free from addiction. Know the truth. There's no other way around it. There's no other way to freedom except through the truth. There is no other way to get out of what the enemy's trying to hold over you except through the truth. Come on, if you're thankful for the truth, give him a shout of praise this evening. So even though the serpent was deceiving Eve, even though the, the serpent was trying to confuse her, even though he was trying to deceive her, the decision was still hers to make. Even though he was doing all these things and you can see how he's trying to manipulate and trying to trick, in the end, he can't make that decision for her to take a bite of that fruit. In the end, he can't be the one to right, shove it down her throat. Right in the end, he's, he he in the end, he really does not have the power to make her do and be disobedient. In the end, the decision is still hers to make. See, the enemy might try to deceive us at times, but in the end, the decision is ours. Because I've 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 heard it said like this to me: It's like, hey, oh, well, Pastor Caleb, there's so many things that's happening in my life. I have no other choice. Or the enemy is making me do this. Or the enemy is to convince me, no, that here's the enemy might be able to deceive you, but he cannot decide for you. He cannot be the one to make you do those things. He can't be the one to make you say those things. He can't be the one to begin to force you beyond your will to do and be disobedient to what God has asked you to do. Point two for tonight is this, is that the enemy has the power to deceive, but we have the power to decide. The enemy has the power to deceive, but we have the power to decide. Here's the freedom in that. The freedom is that that it doesn't matter maybe even how many decisions you made in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter even how many lies you've been convinced of or insecurities. You might be saying, well, Pastor CJ, I can tell you how many things, insecurities I have, lies I deal with, all these things. But can I encourage you? You still have a decision to make. Can I encourage you? It doesn't matter how many, how much how many things the enemy's trying to put over you and how many lies you're trying to battle, you still have a decision to make. Don't let the enemy convince you that because you have been dealt this hand in life or because you have all these things going on or, or because of what your dad's dad did and all these generational things that are upon you, don't let the enemy convince you that you have no choice. 
Because if he can convince you of that, if he can convince you that you don't even have the power to decide for yourself, then you're going to give in to whatever deception and lie he throws at you. But we have the power to decide. We have the power to resist the enemy. We have the power to flee from him. James 4, 7 says it like this. He says, so humble yourselves before God and resist. Everybody say resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't know what he's trying to convince you of tonight. I don't know what he's trying to fill your mind with. But if you just resist, those thoughts will begin to flee. If you just begin to fight against it, those thoughts will begin to flee. Why? Because that's what scripture says and scripture is the truth. If we begin just to make the decision, because it doesn't matter how many wrong decisions we have made, all it takes is one decision, rights in the correct direction to turn everything around. Doesn't matter how many wrong decisions we've made, all it takes is one right decision. So let me encourage you tonight, I don't know what the enemy's trying to do, but the decision is still yours. Make the right decision. Scripture says, humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I might have made many wrong decisions, but I'm gonna make a right one, because that power to decide is still mine. And I'm going to follow after you despite what the enemy might say. I'm going to follow after you despite what my insecurities might say. I'm going to follow after you despite what the enemy is trying to convince me of. We have the power to decide. Turn to neighbor and say, you decide. You decide. We're almost done tonight. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, as we continue. And it says, at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed thick leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, come on, everybody pray for some cool evening breezes right now in the name of Jesus. Man, I felt that. Bring it this way, Jesus. It says, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid. Everybody say hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. So sin enters the world. Adam and Eve realize the shame of their nakedness, but then they do something that kind of confuses me. They, they hid from God. They hid from God. They hid from, the, from their creator who, Scripture says that they were able to have such a relationship with him. It was in a way that we can only imagine how it was going to be in heaven. And they had that. They messed it up. But then they hid. It says they hid from God. You know, was it fear that they hid from God? Was it shame? You know, God said, if you take a bite of this apple, you'll surely die. So, hey, that would cause me to hide. But it says they hid from God. So when the enemy tries to, or when he does confuse us, when he's able to convince us of a lie, it causes us to forget who we are and why we are here. See, Adam and Eve were created for one thing. You and I were created for one thing, that was relationship with God, right? 
We're created to bring honor, to bring glory and worship to our Father in heaven. They were created to have a relationship with God, but because of their confusion, they were convinced of a lie, and now they are hiding from the person that they are supposed to have a relationship with. Now they, are, now they are hiding. They're not confident in their calling anymore. They're not confident in who they are. But now they are hiding from God. And really that's what confusion does to us is that it steals our confidence about our calling. It steals our confidence about who we are in Christ. It, still, it takes away our confidence about why we are here and what God is doing and where we are going it, it removes us, makes us confused about why we're here and about what God has called us to do. That's point three for tonight is this. And how we can remove that is this, is that confidence in God remo- removes the confusion about our calling. Confidence in God removes that confusion about why we are here. When we begin to restore our confidence in God, when we begin to restore our relationship with God, that confusion you have about your calling, about why you're here, and about what you're doing will begin to fade away. Because now you're not long, no longer confident in your humanity. You're not confident in maybe your strengths or your talents or your abilities. You're confident in God. And there's something totally different between having a confident in self and having a confidence in God. Because when you're confident in yourself, you're only able to go as far as you're able to go, period. When you're confident in yourself, once your strength wears off, it's over. If you're only confident in yourself, once your intellect, right, ceases, it's over. And I don't know about you, I don't really know that much. So we wouldn't go that far. But when you put confidence in this, your strengths and your abilities and your intellect and your education, when you put your confidence in things that fade away, you're limited. You're confused. You're easily deceived. But when you put your confidence in God, when you put your confidence in God and say, I'm not confident because of who I am. I'm confident because of who God is. You say, I'm not confident because, man, I have all these degrees behind my name. You say, no, I'm confident because I have the name of Jesus. When you switch that type of confidence, I'm telling you, there's no way the enemy can confuse you about your calling. Because you're going to say, hey, look, even when things don't look like they're going according to plan through the flesh, I'm not confident in the flesh anyways. Even when God has called me to go out and and, and witness to my coworker, and even though in my flesh I, I, I'm not good at communication, but I'm not confident in myself anyways. I'm confident in God. So if God has told me to do it, I'm going to step out in confidence to do it. Why? Because I know God will meet me there. When we begin to have that confidence in God, there's nothing that the enemy can do to confuse you about your future. Because you can remind him, say, It's not built off my strengths. It's not built off my abilities. It's not by my strength. It's by the Spirit of God that these things are going to happen. So these insecurities might might come. These lies might come, but we can deter it. Why? Because we're confident in Jesus. And nobody can take that away from us. Because if you're confident in money, let me see. As soon as there is a downturn in the economy, there goes your confidence. Right? If you put your confidence in people... I don't even have to explain that. 
Five years from now, there's going to be a whole different people around you. But when you put your confidence in God, who knows God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he's the firm foundation that we can build upon. That it doesn't matter what the world tries to do against us. Our confidence is in him. Can you stand to your feet? I'm, I'm closing tonight. I'm closing tonight. As we continue Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. It says, then the Lord called to them. He said, he said where are you? And just uh, heads up, as when you read scripture and you see God asking a question, know that he already knows the answer. Okay? He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't saying, oh, my Lord, they're playing hide and seek. He already knew the answer. So whenever you see him ask a question in scripture, know it's more about who he's talking to and not about himself. He said, where are you, he replied. Adam said, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you? Everybody say, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. God knew that the enemy was behind what was going on. God knew that the enemy was the one convincing him of this lie. Why? Because he was, the, he was the one who told him, who showed him that they were naked. God never told him that. So God knew that they were convinced of a lie. Why? Because only his voice can be what is truth. And so when he said, who told you? He was telling Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? Who, who told you you're not capable? Who, who told you that you're going to be a bad dad? Who told you that you are never going to find that person you're supposed to? Who, who told you that? Because you, when you begin to think about who told you that, you begin to realize and know what is truth and what is not. Because if anybody else besides God told you that, and if it doesn't line up with his word, if it doesn't line up with his voice, then it's a lie. Period. So when God was saying, who told you that? He was saying, look, only my voice is truth. So who told you these things? Because if it wasn't me, then it was a lie. If it wasn't me, then they're trying to deceive you. If it wasn't me, they're not, they're not trying to help you. They're not trying to build you up. They're not, they don't have your best in mind. If it wasn't from me, then it's not the truth. John 10, 27 says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Everybody say voice. And I know them, and they follow me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. He was telling Adam and Eve, how can you be convinced of this lie when it didn't come from my voice? How could you have been convinced or what was told you, when did it come from my voice? But that's what the voice of God does for us, is that it clarifies the confusion. There might be moments, there might be times, there might be 
even insecurities and lies that you're dealing with right now. But can I tell you, the only thing that will bring clarity to that confusion is the voice of God. The only thing that will bring clarity to your, to your life is the Word of God, the voice of God. That's the only thing. If we try to look through any other perspective, any other viewpoint, it's going to lead to more confusion. But the only thing that would bring clarity is God's voice. I'm going to close with this thought. It's that God's voice is what clarifies. Everybody say clarifies. God's voice is what clarifies the confusion. Father, we pray right now there's any confusion that's in the house. We pray right now there's any deception going on. We pray right now, Father, if there's any insecurities or lies that your children are being convinced of. God, right now, let your voice begin to bring clarity in the name of Jesus. Right now, God, let your voice begin to remove those insecurities. Right now, God, let your, let your voice begin to remove, God, the anxiety, the fear, and the doubt. God, let your voice begin to be the two-edged sword. Let your word begin to begin the two-edged sword that cuts away what is not supposed to be there and that cuts away the lie. God, right now, if there's any types of anxieties, Father, let your voice begin to bring peace. God, right now, if there's any God fear, God, let your voice begin to bring God faith into the atmosphere. God, right now, God, begin to bring clarity to the confusion. That we have the mind of Christ. That we're not going to be confused no longer. But we're going to walk confidently and clearly in the purpose and promises of God. In the name of Jesus, we ask. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you the glory and the praise for the clarity for the sound mind that we have that only comes from your spirit. And with every hand lifted, can we just begin to go into this moment with worship? Let's begin to go into this moment and stir up the atmosphere and let's sing. I don't know if you're dealing with an insecurity or a lie, but begin to seek the face of God. Begin to press into his presence and begin to be sensitive to his voice. And clarity will come. Peace will come. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's see. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.